This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, and that's the only thing we can be certain of at the moment. As we record this, Graham Brady's still in number 10 with Liz Truss. That's all I can tell you. Uh, what I can tell you is that we're making lots of news during the course of the show today, uh, including having not one, not two, but three Conservative MPs coming on Times Radio to tell Liz Truss it's time to resign. This was Henry Smith, Steve Double. And Miriam Cates? I think she should do the honourable thing and say that her premiership um, has made the wrong calls, not just once or twice, but consistently uh, since coming into office almost two months ago, uh, and that now it's time for uh, strong leadership to come back to this country. Events will probably gain momentum in the coming hours and days, and I think Sir Graham Brady, who is the chair of the 1920. Two committee, almost the sort of the shop steward of Conservative MPs, um, has said that if the number of calls for the Prime Minister to step aside uh, reaches more than half of the parliamentary party, then uh, those events will be inevitable. Um, I uh, think members should be involved as much as possible in choosing uh, the leader. But uh, as you have pointed out and many others, uh, time is pressing and we can't delay. I believe the scenes uh, of yesterday um, have showed that there is no functioning government. It's completely broken down. She isn't up to the job, sadly. Um, and I think it's time for her to just accept that and announce that she's going to step down and allow us to find someone else. Um, I will be writing a letter to the Prime Minister uh, later today to, to just make that absolutely clear. It seems untenable, but I think we need to be clear that we can shift ministers around, we can shift the Prime Minister around, but at the end of the day, we have some really, really deep economic and social challenges to face. Uh, these are not changes that can be made uh, in an instant, whoever becomes the next Prime Minister or in the Cabinet. So I think that's what we've got to face up to as a party. And yes, I do think it's time for the Prime Minister to go, but let's not pretend that's not uh, going to be an instant fix. Conservative MPs Henry Smith, Steve Double and Miriam Cates joining the chorus of more than a dozen Tory MPs calling for Liz Truss to go. We caught up with uh, not our normal columnist panel on a Thursday, no Indian night in James Marriott. Instead, we had... The Columnists on Times Radio. 
guests that time of the morning where normally we speak to uh, Knight of the Marriott, Indian Knight and James Marriott, but for some reason they've got other things to do. Maybe they're in the government. Uh, we just don't know. Uh, instead, we are joined by Times columnist Ian Martin. Morning, Ian. Good morning. And uh, staff writer at The Atlantic, Helen Lewis, is here. Morning, Helen. Good morning. <sighs> what should we talk about? I just don't know where to start. Uh, Ian. Are we, as uh, uh, Steve Double MP just texted me, are we in the end game? Yeah, I think so. Looks like it. Um, so many MPs now saying that she has to go. I think the only thing which is really delaying it is that the Tory party can't agree on who's next. You know, it's uh, already you're seeing this morning, I've had messages from people saying that the Boris forces are assembling again for another go, which is obviously inherently ridiculous. Uh, and let's not forget that Boris Johnson is really ultimately to blame for this mess in that because he was in a huff about Rishi Sunak, it was determined that it could not be Rishi Sunak who became prime minister. So Boris's supporters put all of their weight behind whoever it was. It could have been Penny Mordaunt, could have been one of the others, but they just had to stop out of sheer vanity. They had to stop uh, Sunak becoming Prime Minister. So I think that's what's really the, the obstacle is in uh, if they were being sensible uh, and I have some reservations about um, Rishi Sunak's policy positions, but it's just way beyond that. You just need the restoration of some decent kind of orderly, dignified government. It probably should be Sunak, but the cabinet and grandees can't agree between them on whether it, it should be or not. So that, I think, is the situation. Uh, Helen, you, any ideas of how to get out of this mess? Well, it does feel like the next level of cope is going to be um, Liz Truss trying to announce that she does want to have a, you know, like a sort of Doctor Who. There's going to be a planned succession that she'll be someone else will take over. And I just, I mean, I thought there was a very galvanising moment when she did the interview with Chris Mason and he got her to say, I want to lead this party into the next election. Because it's what she had to say, but it will also have made a hell of a lot of Tory MPs go, oh my God, we're all going to die if that happens. And I think the same thing will happen any kind of idea that she could kind of, hang on but I think Ian's exactly right I mean there's plenty of games blame to go around the other bit of blame frankly should go to the Tory members who picked her and that was because they wanted the person who told them you know what what they wanted to hear that they didn't have to make any compromises that they could have this you know incredibly uh right-wing economic policy that they'd been you know true Brexit never really been tried and this was kind of going to they were going to get the full fat libertarian version of, of what they wanted so yeah, I think it's very hard now to see uh, them, the Tory party MPs wanting to go back to that membership again, which makes the whole situation very complicated. Uh, t- uh, Ian, you've written in your column today that actually Conservative MPs need to sort of uh, stop t- thinking about winning the next election. There- there's a job of work to be done, much like uh, John Major, actually. You know, people talk about sleaze and all of that under John Major. Actually, the period between Black Wednesday and the election in 1997... He got yeah. on with the job of being the Prime Minister, not being the Tory party leader, not being the Conservatives, and just trying to do the right thing by the country. Yeah, I mean, that period, of course, was different because there was a rising economy post-Black Wednesday between 90, uh, autumn 92 and the election wipeout in 97. But they still did do a lot of uh, really interesting stuff on health reform, education reform, public services, Northern Ireland. Uh, so I'm not suggesting that it could be orderly or stately in those terms, I think it's way beyond that. It's now a question of, do they hand over the country to the Labour Party uh, in, in um, a year's time or uh, maybe less or maybe two years' time? Let's see how long it can, can run for in a relatively orderly 
condition. And of course, it all on one level sounds very funny what's happening. And last night had comical aspects to it. But meanwhile, there is a war in Ukraine. That war looks as though, while all of this is going on and our attention is distracted, uh, that war has a has the potential for, let's hope this is not the case, some form of nuclear escalation, going into a really, really difficult winter, not just for the UK, for the, for the entirety of uh, Europe, very tough economic situation across Europe, and Britain has particular difficulties because of the behaviour of, uh, of Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng. However, this is a really serious situation which just requires a grown-up to be able to level with the public and say it is going to be very, very tough. It's going to be tough across the West because it's very important that Putin doesn't, uh, doesn't win this war and that Ukraine is supported resolutely. So in those circumstances, I mean, that just cannot be Liz Truss. You just look at the polling numbers. There's no way in which Liz Truss can now do what I think needs to be done is switch back to a language of social solidarity, warning about the seriousness of the war and uh, telling people that you know, we can as a country get through it and Europe as a continent can get yeah. through it. So that requires a serious leader. Uh, Helen, it's just going to get worse before it gets better, isn't it? Well, I think it is, because if you think about the financial statement, um, it's very hard to see. I mean, I was Ian's column this morning was very good on this about the fact that, you know, the idea that we're going to be, be able to put lower taxes is kind of incredible. And I just think the idea that, again, Jeremy Hunt can slash out huge amounts of spending out of de non-protected departmental budgets is also going to be really hard to march MPs through the lobbies on that. When their surgeries are full of people who are worried about putting on the heating, going to the food bank for the first time all of that stuff um you know and the idea that there's loads of fat left to trim is just absurd so there are kind of no good options but i i think that's the context in which you have to see this and i agree with you and it is it's, it's it is objectively funny because none of us can do anything about it so we're sort of stuck in this hysterical laughter of, <laughs> oh my, no one's in charge no one knows what to do so i don't deprecate people for kind of trying to find some humor in it where they can but the overall situation as ian says is a, is appalling domestically and internationally and it does need somebody just to calm things down and the thing i think is extraordinary about liz trust look at the opposition day vote yesterday on fracking they didn't have to turn that into a kind of into a confidence vote and then unturn it into one and then return it into one. She has just made a series of procedural staffing errors. You're having to suspend a special advisor for allegedly yeah, yeah. being rude about a previous colleague, having a chief of staff who's been under investigation pretty much from the start, sacking the architect of the 2019 uh, election victory. There's just uh, sacking the chief um civil servant at the treasury on day one there's just a lot of things she didn't need to do given how febra things was and i think that will be turn out to have been her greatest error is this absurd level of overconfidence that she came into the fact that she thought she had a lot more power because they had an 80 seat majority than it turned out that she actually did Helen Lewis here, Martin there. Of course, you can read Ian every week in The Times. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, we try to explain a completely insane 24 hours of British politics. What a fracking mess. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, 
things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. Now it's time for this. The Big Thing on Times Radio. What a fracking mess. What we're going to try and do in this half hour is explain how we got here and what might happen next. 24 hours ago, Conservative MPs received a message from the Deputy Chief Whip Craig Whitaker. That's a name you're going to need to remember. It said, the second debate is the main event today is a 100% hard three-line whip. This is not a motion on fracking. This is a confidence motion in the government, he added. That bit was in bold. Well, here to talk us through uh, what happened yesterday, Lucy Fisher is Times Radio's Chief Political Commentator. Lucy, how are you? Well, I'm tired, Matt, because Downing (laughs) Street was still trying to explain what was going on last night as late as 1.30am. We will come to that. We will come to that. It's a long way off. So 24 hours ago, explain, because lots of people will be trying to get their heads around why it all fell apart around this vote. So what were Labour doing and why was the government so determined to stop them? Right. Now, like everything to do with our parliamentary system, the rules are rather uh, arcane and complicated. So what happened yesterday, it was an opposition day, which means Labour had the chance to um, table votes. They tabled a a vote that was trying to get control of the order paper in order to be able to stage another vote on um, the ban on fracking that would force um, a binding vote that would force uh, MPs to vote whether they wanted to lift the moratorium on the extraction of shale gas We know that Liz Truss wants to do that as part of her growth agenda and to support energy security. Obviously, a lot of concerns about the effects on carbon emissions of doing that, going back to fossil fuels. So um, the vote yesterday, the government um, was worried about it, never likes to allow Labour to get a a win anyway on an opposition day, usually ignores them. But because this would have had some real world effect of leading to this binding vote if Labour had won the government decided to levy a three-line whip. Now, that was clearly, I think we can all agree, an unforced error because that makes it uh, a confidence motion. If the government loses a confidence motion, then they have to call a general election. There wasn't the suggestion yesterday necessarily that they were going to lose um, it, but by making it a confidence issue, if any MP defies that, usually they are stripped of the whip. So they are kicked out of the parliamentary party. And you'd think, given the mess that Liz Truss is in, the last thing she wants to do is to lose Tory MPs. She was essentially picking a fight that she didn't necessarily need to. So that was literally just uh, just before 11 o'clock yesterday. So we get to midday. And to be fair, Liz Truss had a decent-ish PMQs. You know, the fact that she turned up at all was commendable. Uh, You could have forgiven her for hiding under a desk. The the fact that she got through the 30-minute session without resigning, crying, or indeed vomiting down herself is a low bar. But 
when your premiership is being measured in the lifespan of lettuces, you'd take that. And she vowed... Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, I am a fighter and not a quitter. And everyone went off thinking, well, she lives to fight another day. So the debate on fracking got underway, but there were signs that all was not well. The Prime Minister cancelled a planned visit to a factory. Some Tory MPs, including former ministers, started saying they were willing to lose the whip if it meant voting against the planned return to fracking, arguing that was not party policy. Even more bizarrely, some then said they were going to vote with the government, even though they opposed fracking, but only so they could remain a Tory MP and have a say in ousting the Prime Minister. This was William Rag at two o'clock yesterday. What occurred with that financial statement, I am personally ashamed, because I cannot go and face my constituents, look them in the eye, and say that they should support our great party and the polls would seem to bear that out. The next debate is apparently a confidence issue. Well, I'm not going to fall into that trap. I've opposed fracking. I thought we'd come to a considered uh, position on it, but there we go. If I vote as I would wish, then I would lose the whip. I would no longer be uh, vice chair of the 1922 committee. I would no longer maintain a position as a uh, chair of one of the select committees of the House. And indeed, because of that, my letter lodged with my honourable friend, the member for Altrigham and Sale West, would fall. And I wish to maintain that letter with my honourable friend. That was Conservative MP William Rag, uh, the honourable member for Altrigham, of course, Sir Graham Brady, chair of the 1922 committee. So he was saying he was only going to vote with the government in order to be able to put in a letter calling for Liz Truss to go. Meanwhile, around 4.30 yesterday afternoon, something was going on at the Home Office. Suella Braverman was leaving as Home Secretary. Uh, Lucy, was she sacked? Did she resign? Well, Matt, technically she was allowed to resign, but I think she made it clear in her resignation letter that she was sacked. She admitted to a technical infringement of the rules um, uh, regarding um, having what she claimed accidentally, or sources close to her said was accidentally, sending um, uh, confidential privileged government information to a parliamentary colleague. She actually, to make things more complicated, put the wrong name in the drop-down box and sent it to an MP's, another MP's aide. So it didn't even reach its intended uh, target. But she shouldn't have sent this information. It was to do with migrant numbers, which can have an effect on the OBR's forecast uh, for growth. And that, in turn, is market-sensitive information. Clearly, Suella Braverman thought that that was a rather pathetic reason to tell her to go. And the backdrop of this is that it um, came after a 90-minute stand-up row, according to the Daily Mail, between Liz Truss and Suella Braverman about migration, both of them really disagreeing on the policy. So it seems she was sacked for that reason. And also, she shouldn't have been sending it on, in part because it seemed, you, one might speculate the reason she was sending on something she shouldn't was in order to kickstart a row, possibly have it leaked, get into the public domain, because she was unhappy that in order to try and bump up growth, they were essentially going to let more migrants in. 
Yes, that's right. And she's made no secret that that's her view. She's been quite outspoken about that, as well as on other issues that have nothing to do with her brief. She made clear she was disappointed with uh, Liz Truss for U-turning on the plan to scrap the top rate of income tax. She also made uh, controversial comments about Indian uh, uh, citizens outstaying their uh, their visas in the UK, precipitating a row that may have crashed the trade deal. That the, was the possible trade deal with possible India. Trade deal. And then in comes Grant Chaps, a man who only a couple of weeks ago was boasting to everyone he's got a spreadsheet on his phone that could help bring down Liz Truss. It just shows what a weak position Liz Truss is in, is that she's had to bring in one of the key plotters against her. Possibly at this stage of the game, it is a canny move, though, as you say. Grant Shapps had made himself important by keeping the spreadsheet. I asked one um, ally of his, well, what's he doing with it? What's the point of it? And they said, I'm not sure even Grant knows yet, but he knows that having it is valuable. And when the time comes, it can be deployed to effect to oust her. So keeping him inside the tent, probably a wise move. So uh, weird. I mean, normally on a normal day, the, the resignation of the Home Secretary in a new one would be enough news. But the news just kept coming at 10 to 7 last night. Graham Stewart, the climate change minister, was at the dispatch box winding up the debate on fracking and said this. Quite clearly, Madam Deputy Speaker, this is not a confidence vote, but it is an attempt by Her Majesty's... It is... Obviously, 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 Madam Deputy Speaker, this is not a confidence vote. What it is, is an attempt. (laughs) What it is, is an attempt. He says it's obvious. He said it's obvious. It was not at all obvious to MPs. And as the vote got underway, nobody seemed to know what was happening. If it wasn't a confidence vote, Tory MPs opposed to fracking could vote with Labour's motion or not turn up. If it was a confidence vote, anyone who voted with Labour would be kicked out of the Tory parliamentary party and have to sit as an independent. And then things turned ugly, Lucy. Well, total chaos ensued in the voting lobbies. Uh, And it's alleged by Chris Bryant and Anna McMorrin, Labour MPs, that there was um, physical manhandling of Tory MPs by their parliamentary colleagues, members of the government. Chris Bryant named Therese Coffey and Jacob Rees-Mogg being among those to manhandle MPs into the right voting lobby with the government. Must be said, um, Jacob Rees-Mogg denies that. He says... There was robust discussions, but uh, and and he said a female colleague may have put a, a hand affectionately on <laughs> someone's back, but no manhandling took place. But just absolutely chaos. Uh, MPs reported hearing uh, Wendy Morton, the chief whip, announced that she was no longer the chief whip. Craig Whitaker is said to have shouted, um, "I don't effing care anymore." I spoke to one Tory MP who told me in no uncertain terms that Wendy Morton had verbally confirmed to them that she had quit. So that was the status uh, of early evening. But by the early hours of <laughs> well, the we morning... We haven't got there yet, Lucy. <laughs> sorry, Stop sorry. I, keep so, in fact, I, I spoke myself. to Labour MP Chris Bright earlier. I think his word of the day has moved from manhandling to kettling. There were about 15 or 20 um, Tory MPs gathered all around one or two of the people who were kind of wavering in their vote. Um, it was kettling. Um, I, I've used the word manhandling previously. Actually, somebody else made this point to me, another MP who was there. It, it was, it's more like kettling in that nobody was physically grabbing somebody and, and you know, and, and sort of chucking them in through the door. But um, they were gesticulating. They were shouting at them. They were, um, you know, pressurizing. They were standing over them. They were squaring up to them. Uh, that was Chris Bryant speaking to me a bit earlier on. Well, as all this was unfolded, Lucy, you were on, you were on with John Pienaar last night, weren't you? I was, I was listening to you while I was walking the dog. And then my phone went mad. <laughs> this is terminal decay, said one message. It's like a zoo of hungry wild animals, said another. 
Armageddon, said one. A former minister said it's Berlin Bunker 1945. And then a, a normally very sensible, calm, never say boo to a goose MP, who doesn't very rarely, um, is much use, uh, got in touch saying, meltdown well and truly underway. If someone does not grip this, we will be incinerated. And then more of those stories, as Lucy was saying. The Deputy Chief Whip, Craig Whitaker. Some said he looked close to tears. Uh, overheard saying, I'm effing furious and I don't give an F anymore. Uh, so MP suggested he, uh, Liz Truss and Craig Whitaker had a strong exchange of views in the voting lobby. Truss ended up saying it was a confidence vote. Then Wendy Morton and Craig Whitaker were said to have quit. And just after 7.30, Jacob Rees-Mogg, the business sector responsible for the fracking policy, went on Sky News to clear it all up. I'm not entirely clear on what the situation is with the Chief Whip. There has been an element of confusion over whether the vote was a confidence vote or not. And that is a matter that is now being settled, clearly. But the government won it very comfortably, whether it was a confidence vote or not. If you look at the result today on a controversial issue where it was thought that the government may face a significant rebellion, the government won with a majority of 90. Um, I thought the whips who I was working very closely with today worked extremely hard to provide a very good result for the government. Very good result for the government, said Jacob Rees-Mogg. At that stage... We still thought the government was without a chief whip and deputy chief whip. Wrong, wrong, wrong. So at 9.30 last night, uh, Lucy, we, got a, we all got a message from Downing Street. At, at, at 1.30? No, no, this is the 9.30 message oh. saying that the de- chief and deputy chief whip was still in post. Remained in post. You are correct. So that was the message then. In the meantime, Steve Baker, the Northern Ireland minister, popped up on Times Radio last night to say number 10 had told him to announce that Liz Truss basically plans to sack Grant Shapps in the new year and give the job back to Suella Braverman. In the course of doing this, this uh, media round, which I was asked to do by Number 10, I did speak yeah. with Number 10, and they invited me to say that the Prime Minister would like to be able to reappointment, reappoint Suella in the new year. So, you know, that is a measure mm, of okay. the resilience of the Prime Minister. She would like to be able to reappoint Suella in the new year. So, you know, I, I think that we're in a position where... That's not merely a gesture, and it's not also not a commitment. Things will mm. be where they are. But, you know, the Prime Minister's willing to consider reappointing Suella yes. um, in, in the New Year. <laughs> and then just when we thought it was safe to go to bed, we've finally got there, Lucy, One thirty in the morning. The message that we the, the number 10 sent to journalists last night, rather well, early hours. In the early hours, here's what it said. The Prime Minister has full confidence in the Chief and Deputy Chief Whip. Throughout the day, the whips had treated the comp- vote as a confidence motion. The minister at the dispatch, bo- dispatch box was told, mistakenly, by Downing Street to say that it was not. However, Conservative MPs were fully aware that the vote was subject to a three-line whip. The whips will now be speaking to Conservative MPs who failed to support the government. Those without a reasonable excuse for failing to vote with the government can expect proportionate disciplinary action. We are, you know, one of the most respected parliaments in the world because we uh, believe in uh, democracy and uh, the freedom that we give our MPs to vote as they see fit. Uh, so uh, that one. <laughs> so everything is everything's fine. It, proportionate dis- disciplinary action. We assume that that means nothing happens, Lucy. We assume so. I've just seen a Siobhan Bailey tweet uh, about half an hour ago. Environmental issues are hugely important to my constituents. I abstained on the vote last night, knowing the potential consequences. For those asking whether I'm still a Conservative MP, I don't know, but I hope so. 
And then we just heard from Anne-Marie Trevelyan on breakfast this morning saying that uh, we're, we're one of the most respected parliaments in the world. I think that's probably up for debate. Now, this morning on this show, three Conservative MPs have told me that it's time for Liz Truss to go and she needs to go today. First, Henry Smith, then Steve Double, and finally Miriam Cates. I think she should do the honourable thing and say that her premiership um, has made the wrong calls, not just once or twice, but consistently uh, since coming into office almost two months ago, uh, and that now it's time for uh, strong leadership to come back to this country. Events will probably gain momentum in the coming hours and days, and I think Sir Graham Brady, who is the chair of the 1920. Two committee, almost the sort of the shop steward of Conservative MPs, um, has said that if the number of calls for the Prime Minister to step aside uh, reaches more than half of the parliamentary party, then uh, those events will be inevitable. Um, I uh, think members should be involved as much as possible in choosing uh, the leader. But uh, as you have pointed out and many others, uh, time is pressing and we can't delay. I believe the scenes uh, of yesterday um, have showed that there is no functioning government. It's completely broken down. She isn't up to the job, sadly. Um, And I think it's time for her to just accept that and announce that she's going to step down and allow us to find someone else. Um, I will be writing a letter to the Prime Minister uh, later today to, to just make that absolutely clear. It seems untenable, but I think we need to be clear that we can shift ministers around, we can shift the Prime Minister around, but at the end of the day, we have some really, really deep economic and social challenges to face. Uh, these are not changes that can be made uh, in an instant, whoever becomes the next Prime Minister or in the Cabinet. So. I think that's what we've got to face up to as a party. And yes, I do think it's time for the Prime Minister to go, but let's not pretend that's not uh, going to be an instant fix. Uh, they're not the only ones. Also this morning, Matthew Offord, Cheryl Murray and Gary Streeter also joining that. Although I have to say, uh, we're the only people who've had any interviews at all. Uh, if, you, if you want to hear Tory MPs calling for the Prime Minister to go, you have to listen to Times Radio because uh, nobody else has done it. So Lucy, where are we right now? Well, Matt... After uh, that extraordinary run-through of an extraordinary 24 hours. It feels a very, very uh, seismic day for the Prime Minister. Just got a message back from one Tory MP. I said, is today the day the edifice finally comes crashing down? They said, what edifice? Uh, I, I think we will see um, potentially this cascade of MPs resign... Uh, not, not, sorry, not resigning, but calling for her resignation continuing. And uh, it just feels the pressure is mounting to an almost intolerable degree. Uh, there I was thinking that she might go when I'm on holiday next week. I mean, it might, she might go while we're on air this morning. Well, I, let's put it this way. I have, I have tickets to Bob Dylan tonight and I don't expect I'll be seeing, uh, seeing the great man. <laughs> if anyone's got any Bob Dylan song suggestions uh, for Liz just to listen to right now, uh, then, uh, then do send them in. Uh, Lucy, I know you've got a busy day ahead. Thank you for walking us through the last 24 hours. It feels like the next 24 hours might be even more mad. It feels that way. And in the meantime, Matt, I shall marshal any MPs wanting to speak out onto your show. Bring them on. Bring them on. But you may have seen an awful lot about how all of this is unprecedented. Is it? Is the prospect of three prime ministers in one year unique? Well, I spoke to the historian Dan Snow and asked him whether so much change in number 10 really is unprecedented. No. Like everything in British history, most things are precedented. We've had a long run at it, us Brits, particularly in our sort of modern, if you like, modernish constitutional form. 
over 300 years of prime ministers, a kind of pretty settled constitutional government. And we have had years of three prime ministers before. It should be said that most of the time, it's on those occasions, we had 1782, uh, that involved the death. Um, we've got 1827, three provinces that also involved the death or involved a gigantic hemorrhage. So most of the time it involves incapacity. It's quite, I think it's pretty unprecedented to have three prime ministers with a big majority in the commons. It's usually because they're very complicated arithmetic of our, our strange electoral system and, and the way the House of Commons can be formed. So it is pretty unusual slash unprecedented to have Good, strong majority, and yet three of them in the same year. Bizarre. Give us a, something that people can drop into conversation with friends and say, oh, of course, this is most like, which is the one, that, which is the, the historical precedent that we can, can pretend that we knew about all along. Well, um, and I'm only saying this because I just had the brilliant historian on my podcast telling me this, so don't, please don't think I'm particularly clever. But I mean, in 1847, there was a, a catastrophic famine. Uh, Irish potato famine, people will know about, uh, and, and leading to the death of hundreds of thousands, millions of people immiserated, um, starving. So, and high price of food. So, high commodity prices across Europe. Okay, we've got the same for gas now. The British government ran out of runway. They tried to borrow money to try and subsidize food at the same time as passing basically quite a big tax cut. And they ran out of runway, and the Bank of England had to step in, and there was uh, the, the British government had to slash spending on. Uh, those, those, those that subsidised food. Irish people in particular suffered terribly. It destroyed the union, um, and it led to decades of very quick turnaround of government. It wasn't three MP, three prime ministers in that year, but there was, you know, there were probably five MP, five prime ministers over the next ten years. So that is a kind of interesting parallel for today. I, have to, I, I think. Uh, and when, because we've talked before about uh, how much when we think that everything is very exciting and, and historic, um, and then it ends up being a footnote in the uh, in the history books. How, just in terms of sort of political turmoil, uh, regardless of the numerical uh, details of prime ministers, how significant does this period feel in terms of what might be studied by the podcast of the future? Well, it feels very significant because I think we're still in this Brexit period, aren't we? We're still we're still dealing with the aftermath of Brexit. We're still dealing with the aftermath of the the, the fundamental, the, the irreconcilable problems and promises that were issued during the Brexit campaign. Was it an anti-immigrant, um, economically it's a bit populist, if you like, bringing work work factories back to Britain, onshoring things, or was it the Singapore on Thames model that we've seen? And we've seen that kind of explode in the cabinet and, and the parliamentary party over the last week. It's been rumbling along with ever since Brexit happened. So I do think it's very important. I don't want to, you know, I'm, this is the problem, folks. Next year, the Republicans are going to win the House, the, the House of Representatives, and they're going to try and blow up the debt ceiling in America. So there could be a global financial meltdown next year. So this is all part, I think, of a challenge that we face at the moment around truth, around uh, authoritarianism around challenges to democracy, around you know the, the internet, if you like, and all the, all the things that you talk about regularly on your show. So we are in the middle of something here. I would like to believe that in uh, 1886, for example, where you get three prime ministers in one year, but then someone like Lord Salisbury emerges, and you get a period of of, of retrenchment of stability. I'd like to say that could be an option under Jeremy Hunt or something like that, but it doesn't feel very likely at the moment, given that kind of what's going on systemically. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. And we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from.
This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.